0: Welcome to Pick a Little, Talk a Little, the musical theater podcast where we talk about things that give us feelings, and we take a show and analyze it song by song and get really nerdy about it. I'm Gabrielle Gazelowitz, and with me today is...
1: Harrison Benjamin.
0: Thank you for coming back. Thank you. And not being scared away from me bullying you through our Music Man pilot.
1: That's not how I remember it.
0: Okay, good. Except it is. Well, so why don't you, Harrison, tell us what musical we're talking about today.
1: Today we're talking about a musical that I first discovered when Just I... announce
0: the musical! No! Fine. See, that's the bullying I'm talking about. Go on.
1: Wow. I'll be I first discovered when going through my parents' old records, and I found the scores to Phantom of the Opera, Les Mis, and Big River, which is the, what we're talking about today. That's Big kind River. of a random third one. I think my dad saw it. I don't know if my mom did.
0: Well, we are talking about Big River, which was originally on Broadway in 1985 after playing out of town at a couple of major venues. The ART, La The Hoya. ART and La Jolla. And for a little bit of context of our relationships with this musical, Harrison, you have seen this on Broadway.
1: I, yeah, I saw the revival when it came out in 2003, Deaf West production with my father. I was actually sitting front row kid,
0: And I have never seen Big River. I've seen... YouTube videos, and I've read the libretto, and I know the cast recording super Mm -hmm. well. I did read Huckleberry Finn. For those of you who don't know, Big River is just straight up an adaptation of Huckleberry Finn, of the Mark Twain novel. That is the
1: subtitle, Big River, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn.
0: So I am familiar with the novel, not that I have read it for a while. I will try not to speak too much about just comparing between the two incarnations of the same story.
1: And I'll also say I have actually not read the novel, and my, my first introduction to the story of Huckleberry Finn was through this musical, so I always had in mind just the idea of this is how it goes.
0: To jump ahead a little bit, what I will say the gist is is that it's an episodic story, The musical just kind of leaves out individual episodes, and it kind of does what it has to do. Last episode, we did Pippin, so compared to that, this is pretty much linear. The writing team, we have Roger Miller, who did score and lyrics, and we have William Hauptman did the book. And I will tell you, a lot of this Text is just lifted straight out of the novel and particularly it kind of reads, you know They used to have those old like classic novels for kids where we just kind of like give you the gist of it And it's like a short version. It, anyway, that's what yeah. this kind of reads like to me But Roger Miller is interesting because he did add new content by way of songwriting I hold a little bit of resentment against Roger Miller because really? to, we have him to blame for the hamster dance What? Not directly. So he was the singing voice of Alan Dale, the rooster in Disney's Robin Hood, mm-hmm. and he also wrote the songs that Alan Dale sings. Can you picture how the whistle song in Robin Hood goes?
1: No, actually. I'll which hum that, it for you, that,
0: yeah, do, 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 Oh, that one. Do. Now speed it up. <whistles> oh my god
1: (inaudible) i'll also mention before we keep going also did you know though that he actually later in the original run he took over the role of um of of pat finn
0: yeah and i was thinking it's funny because it's like he's the original lin-manuel miranda if you think about it so to get right down into it you saw the production that Came out of Deaf West. Yes. So when it's relevant. I
1: mean, I can mention right now, though, the main, main difference yeah. that they had some actors doubling roles. They'd have one shadowing another one, one signs, one talks.
0: And uh, Deaf West, for anyone who doesn't know, is a theater company that specializes in works by deaf and hard of hearing actors. And they're often signed, and in a, f- a few of their famous musical adaptations, They've double cast roles and had singers and signers, and it's their way of exploring accessibility in theater and Mm -hmm.
1: disability in our culture, and they're pretty rad. There's a deaf culture that is very different from our own. So it's something to think about in general. Of note, one of the major double castings that I think was very interesting to do, at the top of the show, Mark Twain steps out. Onto the stage, smoking a cigar, as it says in the uh, in the libretto. So, in the Def West production, they actually had Daniel Jenkins, who played the original um, Huckleberry Finn on Broadway, and in his the dad 80s. is Dr. Kelso on Scrubs. Yes. So he came out and played Mark Twain, and he signed his way through that. But then Huckleberry Finn comes out in the show. Originally, he just starts talking about how Mark Twain got his story mostly right um, in the story of Tom Sawyer. But in this case, it's Mark Twain talking.
0: Right. So instead of double casting the role of Huck, like they would for say Tom Sawyer and have a singer and a signer, right? Huck is only a signer in this production, and, and his translation, rather than someone like in the same clothes as
1: him, is Mark Twain, the narrator. Right. And he would he would sit on the side of the stage at different parts in different areas and he would sing for him and say the lines. So it was like hearing the actual original (laughs) Huck. So we meet Huck Finn. He
0: unloads us with exposition. It's the top of a musical. It's fine. He's a poor, uneducated white kid living in the antebellum south. In
1: St. Petersburg.
0: Yeah, and he in the previous adventure he and tom sawyer have come into a lot of money and his alcoholic single father who raised him has disappeared and he's being raised by these like two elderly women these sisters it's essentially a big culture shock because he essentially had no they talk about like civilizing him but he's not from the town's culture and Mm -hmm. then he pretty much sort of lived on his own and all of a sudden he's being surrounded by all these really strong messages of you have to be our particular take on christian white educated this much class because you have money now and i think the best way for people to come at him with all these messages is with a song
1: out they come with a song that blatantly asks a very strong question to this young man do You Wanna Go to Heaven? And
0: Do You Wanna Go to Heaven is a really fun song, but it's it really also is. immediately sort of making us raise eyebrows a little bit. There's a
1: moral absolutism to the culture that he's living in. I think that's partially the idea in this case, actually. I, I think that is meant to, meant to actually foil the religious songs we hear later on from the members of the black community in the show
0: oh that's an interesting that's point. that's what i feel also in this song what interests me is that we encounter tom sawyer who's gonna be a really interesting figure throughout this musical because right away we're getting i really don't like tom sawyer's account not that i don't think he's an interesting character mm-hmm. but i don't like him that we're gonna get to because
1: he complicates things well
0: because because he's a fake rebel he's a he's a teen he's like you know a, a teenage kid who likes to mess around but ultimately we get from the outset that he buys into the same system as everyone else because he says you know he likes hanging around huck because huck is sort of edgy and dangerous but then he and his friends tell him the same thing the grown-ups are telling him that he has to like learn to read and write or so he can like read the bible and get to heaven which is really messed up because slaves are illiterate no but they did because they were imposing Christianity on to slaves. I will also make a disclaimer that, like, neither of us are Black, and we are both Northern people who were born in the 1990s, so our perspective is going to be not particularly insightful past our own upbringings. Yeah. But we will, you know, so give wh- it a good
1: shape. So one thing I want to say I, that I love about this song. So I come from an cappella background, and... This song actually implements a lot of things that would, are really fun for acapella reasons. When the entire townsfolk come out at him like a stampede, trying to make him more religious and yeah. want to go to heaven, they start doing some cool things in the background, not necessarily singing Oz, oohs. Do
0: you want to go to
1: heaven? Well, no, no. I'm mostly talking about the... They start going in like, huck, huck, Oh, huck, yeah. Read your Bible. huck. It's, it's a lot of fun.
0: So, we get pretty quickly into our next number, which is Huck goes off to hang out with Tom and his gang,
1: and we... You mean the boys?
0: Yes, the boys. Um, and we get more insight into Tom Sawyer's nourish Kite. Mm-hmm. Southern term. <laughs> Southern Brooklyn term. We Are the Boys is a fine song, it's fun. There's something about it that bothers me, that starts to bother me, that i don't know how old huck and tom are supposed to be because you know you generally cast like young adults in the role which is fine and you know they can play any age but you get sort of weird things in the song where for example in this song like they're very innocently like we'll kidnap the ladies and like dance with them bring them to a cave and then we'll dance a lot until they fall down and like fall in love with us and it's this very like Childish perspective of women So that sort of sets me as thinking like Okay, they're like 12 to 14 But then I guess maybe 14 is the only age that works And I know that also like Huck, for example Is in a lot of ways immature But then when we get on through the musical There's gonna be like a random created Like almost semi like love subplot
1: Yeah, I don't know I've always read the age of something around like 13, 14
0: We kind of do shoehorn in the next song, which is a beautiful song, which is Waiting for the Light to Shine. It's kind uh-huh. of just shoved in there. It is just kind it's... of shoved in there, but it's, it's a sort of, I don't know if it's an I Am or an I Want song, if you're gonna make that a, di- a dichotomy.
1: I but... think it's an I Want. I think that's the idea. But it's, it's a little too vague, and unfortunately I might even say, not not in melody or tone, but it's a bit bland in expressing the I want. Well, it's because Huck doesn't know
0: what he wants. He says, I'm waiting for the light to shine. He doesn't... He's waiting to know. We, we've we had his experience with the town, we have his experience with his peers and with his friends, and the fact that he still feels out of place and he still wants something to click for him. Right. And it's really interesting that he's using the imagery of waiting for the light to shine because that's very, very religious, religious. Imager- imagery. Yes. And and I don't think he's doing it consciously, and I don't think he realizes he's doing it.
1: Maybe. So, I mean, we also see later on that he actually has learned to read and write.
0: Yeah. No. So he's, he has He's, he's had has this education, more... but he hasn't really internalized it, at least in terms of like moral messages or or he's or he he has to an extent. I mean, I love waiting for the light to shine. It's just a short, beautiful song and it and it expresses something really interesting about him. And yes, it's vague, but it's because because right. no, it, yeah. it,
1: I guess yeah, he is vague at that moment.
0: It's not like, you know, Pippin corner of the sky where he's <laughs> like, I want to feel like I fit in and achieve greatness. Huck's just sort of like, I just need I, things to make sense.
1: And partially I got to get out of here. Basically. So, Huck
0: goes back home and encounters Pap. Pap. And here is where we should mention, like, we're not, we can't talk about every cast member who's ever played every role in every musical, but John Goodman played Pap Finn on Broadway. Uh, what year did Ro- was Roseanne first a thing?
1: A lot later. This was, first of all, his Broadway debut. He played Pap Finn, and also later on... He was he, also in the he ensemble. The sheriff. Yeah. Um, and he'd only barely started scoring a few small film roles at this time. This was his... Theoretically, this is his big break. He only had done a few short... TV films and a few character.
0: Yeah, hey, in Christopher Walken, pre-fame was yeah. in the um, Sherlock Holmes musical, but that's a story for another day. So Pap Huck's father is essentially an abusive alcoholic who only comes back into his son's life because he learns that he's come into a sum of money.
1: Yeah, he's making around three hundred a year off of um, the money in the bank.
0: Yeah, which is no small sum in that. Yeah, in mid nineteenth century South. It's a small fortune. Okay. And he essentially makes Huck come in and live with him. Mm-hmm. And proceeds to be kind of abusive and sad. But he does get a really good number. <laughs>
1: he does. It's a lot of fun. Um, he sings a song called... First I have, say
0: it and then spell it. I have
1: to say it with the accent there. Government.
0: Would you like it in a sentence?
1: yes please
0: you datgum gum government you better pay attention you sitting up there like a fool's convention
1: is that also the would definition? you like yeah. <laughs> a fool's convention well the de- um but it's it's they, they spell it out g-u-v apostrophe M E N T. But then in the lyrics is when he
0: extends it to three syllables, it's G U V E R apostrophe M-I-N-T. So this musical makes me think a lot about the sort of general rules of musical theater songwriting where you're writing for a certain character. Yes. And for example, like Sondheim really likes writing about like smart educated characters. Mm -hmm. It's why you have like company and a little night music are so great because it means that he can get as smart as he wants. But when you're writing musical for characters that are not particularly sophisticated you can't write particularly sophisticated lyrics so in Big River right. I've been going through it and listening and being like do I not like the lyrics or are the lyrics just not serving the purpose enough. of the of like serve these characters that aren't going to have particularly eloquent things to say and I go back and forth I think it varies from song to song sometimes it does. but I think government is the it's perfect, strongest is,
1: in that respect I think
0: because it's like, a fun song. There's a lot of like, there's like made up words and like vernacular and slurring and mm-hmm. running around. And John Goodman's sounds Roger so Miller good is on the recording. Quite
1: well known for using those types of words like Oodle Lolly.
0: Yeah, so he might as well oh, be right. like blowing on a jug. He's drinking from the jug, so why not? Right,
1: exactly. Okay, I
0: have to read this part from this interlude from the song. Okay. You soul selling no good sons of a deadpan shoes fitting fire starters. I ought to tear your no good god dang preambulatory bone frame and nail it to your government walls, all of ya,
1: ya bastards. To summarize this song and its interlude are against the government. In
0: the beginning of the musical, it starts with this tongue-in-cheek disclaimer about, like, don't look for meaning in the show, don't look for plot that they took from the novel. And obviously, it's very rich in meaning.
1: He's mega drunk. So
0: yeah, Roger Miller is actually from the South, so if his perspective of this character is that he's going to sing a slurred drunken song about how much he hates the government he thinks, and that is his prerogative.
1: He gets so mega drunk that he starts seeing things. Yeah, he almost
0: physically attacks Huck.
1: No, he does physically attack Huck. He tries to kill him thinking he's the angel of death.
0: Yeah, and and having this insight into what Huck's childhood must have been like, sort of, you know, he's this character who's trying to act kind of Mm devil-may-care and mischievous, and it's kind of harrowing. It's very sad.
1: Yeah, he's always been running away from something.
0: And so he's gonna run away again.
1: He runs away one day when his father is out and... He grabs a pig, a hog, and kills the pig and spreads the blood all over the cabin. That's very biblical. It is very biblical. I was thinking the same thing. To fake his own death.
0: Which is weird because then later they try to like find his body in water. Oh, because I guess if his father or someone had come in and murdered him and then thrown the body yeah. into the river. So, okay. <laughs> Here's this moment we have Huck running away from his alcoholic, abusive father and slaughtering an animal to do so, and we have, like, one of the lightest, cheeriest songs in the whole musical. I love it.
1: Okay. In context, I don't like it as much. Out of context, it's a fun little jig, almost. Oh, I um, I really
0: like it in context because it's creative and it's interesting and it actually plays with sort of conventions of theater and how we can. I'll give you that. Not just have A and B and C happening, right? And while well, Huck is, and it also makes it more interesting because it could be one thing if Huck just stands there and is like, then I slaughtered a pig, then I stole a canoe, then I did he this and that. He kind of does just He does, there and but say it's that. but it's in it's in between. We have Tom, Tom Sawyer. Sawyer. They're
1: singing off on the side. So they sing a song about how a hog is man's best friend. Yeah, they
0: just sing a song about how great pigs are. And it's true. So Huck successfully sneaks off, figures out that people are looking for his body, which he seems just kind of amused by. Okay. I
1: mean, they kind of hold a funeral for him. Everyone assumes he's dead and yeah, but
0: Yeah, no, but he sees that they're like looking for his body and he can like see like Tom Sawyer, who's his best friend. He's like, haha, the looks on their faces because it's part of Huck's like emotional immaturity and yeah. that he has doesn't have a fully developed sense of right and wrong. Right. But right. he he's finally alone. So we get another song.
1: Ah, uh, Huckleberry me. Uh, Once again, we have a very similar song. It is incredibly catchy.
0: There's just lots of songs that you're just like... You know, Huckleberry is the first-person narrator in the novel, so I can see how you would think it would be an improvement to have Mark Twain speak for him, but I think it could work perfectly well with the right
1: casting and direction to have him just narrate his own story. But from an actor's perspective, it gets annoying. It's the joy of, I get so many lines, yay! But there's the, I no longer can always make myself feel like I'm in this scene because I also have to talk to the audience and have asides with them.
0: Is there anything really to say about I Huckleberry Me? Other than that it's a catchy little ditty where he's like, I think I'm alone now. It's
1: really just that. It's just I'm alone and...
0: But now, as soon as that number's over, we encounter who we only have in passing before, yes. Jim.
1: Jim is actually Miss Watson's slave. Miss Watson, who is one of Huck's caretakers. Right. And he also has run away.
0: Because he heard that he's going to be sold.
1: Down the river to New Orleans.
0: Oh, yeah. Obviously, that is bad. We're going to learn more about why that is his particular motivation to run away. Jim and Huck kind of team up pretty quick.
1: Also, Jim is one of the only people who doesn't actually, who's never really talked back to Huck. Like the one person in his life who never really said, You should do this, you should do that. So there's always there's always a yeah, but an unsaid kinship, I think, between them.
0: That they're both sort of put upon, though obviously in very different, different ways. ways. Um, and also, we're going to also learn more about what Huck has and hasn't absorbed from his society, and we're getting the first sort of like hints that he has a lot of toxicity. Even though he sees himself as being outside of this society, that he's already absorbed a lot of the negative aspects of it. I mean, right off, Jim says he's running away, and Huck says, Oh, I won't tell anyone. Like, people can call me a dirty abolitionist. Like, I don't care, right?
1: Uh, You'll see also later on. That he has been considering this entire time that he's not giving Jim up, that he has felt that that's a sin.
0: Well, yeah, this is going to be a big tug of war that's really interesting. But for now, Huck and Jim will run away together. And Huck says, well, if I say that you're my slave, people won't necessarily tag you for a runaway. Yeah. So also, this is since this is the first real like chunk of dialogue we're getting from Jim, you know, very good critique of the original novel is that even though it was really progressive in a lot of ways jim is written as being kind of childlike kind of simple kind of gullible
1: first himself in the third person
0: yeah um, and the musical as i've said really just lifts a lot of text out of the book so i think a lot of this can be mitigated by the right direction and the right actor and also they were pretty careful about their edits and they tried to sort of minimize like him being unintelligent and also they make it clear he and huck what they have in common is that they're not really educated but you know reading the libretto that's always gonna like stick in the back in the brain of something that's a little bit off and then in the in the songs it's not the case
1: right just listening to the cast recording he comes off as a very well because songs are supposed to come from the heart and so these are moments where he can express himself fully But I also want to take this time to to go back to, because of how Mark Twain wrote, and his time, and the points that he was trying to make, the N-word shows up very often in the book, and so... Yeah, that's going to happen for the first time soon in the play. So it's about to show up for the first time. William Houtman is on record as counting that there were 18 mentions of this word. So he was trying to make a point, but as the years have gone on, he has gone on record Uh, in 2010 that he actually wanted to cut down the number from 18 to around 8 or 9.
0: Anyway, we're going to be jumping a little bit as we go forward just because now we're sort of hitting the full pace of the show, which is a lot of things, some of them kind of inconsequential, at least on the surface, happening at once. So, for example, there's a scene where Huck like does recon by like he's like I want to find out what's going on so he like dresses up as a girl totally fails at it and like talks to a woman to make sure that people think he's dead. Right. Well, what he does find out oh, is that guess, there's a yes. posse that is pretty sure that, that Jim is Jim is on hiding the on the island where they are and that they're gonna come find him so he runs back and he and Jim have to just make a break for and it.
1: They're going right. down the Miss- Mississippi River. Also. Known colloquially as the same title as the song "Muddy Water." Yay! Woo! I really, 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 really it's such like that song. song. Um, we have our first duet in the show, and it's between Jim and Huck.
0: Is this where we make an easy A joke?
1: If you want, just saying it is the only, the first <laughs> duet in the show, and all of the duets actually belong to these two characters. I
0: mean, I don't think so.
1: That's a different question altogether. That's not
0: not all of the duets is not the only way to go.
1: Jim is in there.
0: Uh, when the sun goes down in the south.
1: Four of them. All four of them are in there. The, no, the only this... songs that have
0: literally two people are songs with Huck and Jim. Yeah, you don't. You don't need to pull something homoerotic out of. it. I'm not you, going no, no, no. to. I'm, saying, I'm just pointing it out. And I wouldn't either, especially depending on how you want to take Huck's age, but.
1: Their and friendship, the their, their
0: relationship is a central focus And mission.
1: the fact that Jim has a wife and kids Who have been sold into slavery That he hasn't seen in a long time
0: We'll get to that So I love Muddy Water it's, it's a gorgeous song Maybe the best song in the whole show Maybe Like you can make arguments for other songs But if you're going to argue what song is the best This has to be on your list I mean it's I gorgeous kind of the, it. the imagery with which they Like once again they don't get purple Like they don't over talk their characters context but they have this
1: really joyous, r- explor- r- like a sensory joyous rich- exploration of their exploration
0: it's this really rich language which we'll also get again in river and the rain look out for me oh muddy water true your mysteries are deep and wide i got a need for going someplace i got a need to climb upon your back and ride it's like it's just so exciting in the spirit of adventure and even though they're like running for essentially jim's life that they have this like triumphant moment so, Puck and Jim are, they're on the raft, and they're rafting around the Mississippi. I would love, like, a production that, like, had an actual, like, onstage water thing.
1: It's a great idea, I but mean, it's also really, most of the productions of this show have been small-budget shows, so yeah. they've not been able to do that. We
0: have water as, like, and now, because I read this book in high school, I'm putting on my, like, high school English teacher hat, and I'm thinking, like, water as a metaphor. But anyway, we're going to see lots of recurring things with water as being like an avenue to escape and about yeah. freedom and about movement and anyway, so Huck and Jim are on the river, for example, in more episodic things, as we will see, some are more important than others. Yes. They see there's been a flood and there's random things floating in the river. They see a dead body, which Jim is very yeah. insistent that Huck not look at.
1: Yes. And then we come to probably the saddest song in the show.
0: Well, and blah blah blah, Huck and Jim are bonding and talking about the things that they don't understand, etc. They are building a relationship which is done through dialogue, which is dialogue that they mostly lift straight from the novel. Well, okay, so you said the saddest song in the musical. Okay, let's talk about The Crossing.
1: So, The Crossing is a song sung mostly by one of the slaves and then backed up by other slaves on a ship crossing back down south. These slaves were runaways that had gotten caught, and now they're being sent back down the river. Yeah.
0: So this is a song that I'm sure, like, in the context of seeing it on stage, is very moving. And it is—okay, at some point I was gonna have to bring this up. Okay. Are you familiar? You are familiar. I believe you've talked about it. The Coomin and Diamond song, Random Black Girl. So Kuman and Diamond wrote this satirical song, and it's a song about how, like, if you're a black woman in musical theater, you're going to be given
1: this... That's the soulful song?
0: Yeah, and the f- the first time I heard this song the first thing I thought of was Big River. I'm just gonna literally read some lyrics from Random Black Girl. When it comes to the plot, I play no significant role. I'm just a random black girl singing the soul. Big River has a mixed ensemble and there's a lot of really talented black singers and they are throwing a lot of music at them, but not all of that music is super great just because they're kind of like, they're great performers, they'll carry it. And it's like, yeah, but could you also do great music? I, I would encourage you. Don't
1: like the song? Is that what you're saying? I'm or is not, it just the fact that these the songs that they give to them are the less? Um,
0: there are good songs in the musical, and it's not. It's certainly not a dichotomy of like all oh, the white people have all the good songs, but as moving as the crossing is. It's not a particularly memorable song, but also but this is where we get what you referenced before, the religiosity right, of the slaves soulful, in the south. Yeah. Soulful, yeah. soulful. In the soulful. aftermath <laughs> in the aftermath of the song, something must have affected Huck about it because he actually asks Jim about why Jim's running away, etc. Yeah. And we learn that Jim has a wife and children. Who lived near to where he was living But that if he was going to be sold to New Orleans He would essentially never see them again So
1: I'm trying to remember, are they in Cairo Or is that just where they're trying to go?
0: No, they're trying to, is it said Cairo or Cairo?
1: It's Cairo in Egypt, it's Cairo here
0: Yeah, they don't live in Cairo. He's just trying to get there so he can get north and get free Mm -hmm. and
1: come and... To work to buy back his family.
0: Jim says, I will either buy back my family into freedom or I will hire someone to go and steal them back. And so Huck is listening and here's the first time that we really get a sort of upsetting perspective of Huck. And Huck says... (sighs) Jim's going to get free, he's going to hire somebody to steal that farmer's property, and who's to blame for it? Me. So, very matter-of-factly, we realize that Huck, as much as he sees Jim as a friend, sort of, he still fundamentally sees slaves as property. Mm -hmm. And that this is, for all the messages that he has avoided, either intentionally or accidentally, in his upbringing, he has definitely absorbed this, because it's so ingrained. Uh, so then we have more random run-ins where Huck has to think on his feet and make sure that Jim doesn't get caught. Get caught. This
1: is um, where they pretend that he's got smallpox to not have someone yeah. board their boat to look at him.
0: Yeah, and the guys closer. give him money, they feel so bad about it. Yeah. And it starts raining. Yeah, that's that's kind of an episode that is not really... Important. Oh, there's so many good episodes from the book that could have. Been, no, but exactly. we get to "River in the Rain," which you're right is another duet.
1: It's another with duet. Just Huck and Jim. This is this is if you want to go homoerotic on it, this one's closer. It's very actually. It's very, it is romantic. But it's not. But not it's not
0: romantic men. between them. It's romantic of their relationship to the environment the, that they're and in, the and once again, the river and escaping like. They literally river. say River I love you Like multiple times In the song Ooh I love I love when they're Talking about River and the rain Your muddy bubbles Roll across my floor Just like the one river that could know, be so many things Before it was like Flowing and exciting And
1: Now it's Now it's a train A long white train
0: And it's Not quite adversarial, but a little bit sort of the river's gonna do its thing, and we're just, like, here.
1: And we're happy about that.
0: It's not as good as Muddy Water, but it's a nice song.
1: But this is also a moment of tragedy during the song. They get distracted and accidentally pass where they planned on going. Well, it's not
0: just that they're distracted. There's a really heavy fog, so then they have to go back onto... Back in
1: I-95 to get back to the Ohio River.
0: Oh, but we meet the king and the duke. Tell us about the king and the duke.
1: Um, The king and the duke are two men. They start running away from a mob, chasing them off. And these two men see them on the raft and they beg for their help and they jump on Um, with Huck's allowance and they save them from harm. Yay. So
0: my question for you is when you saw it, did they have like Southern accents or Northern accents or was it one of each? Because it's supposed to be a satirical look at like carpetbaggers and like the post, even though it takes place pre-war that the sort of like the post-war issues that Twain was like writing from that context. But, um, yeah, there doesn't seem to be anything like that here really. Like. Yeah, so we get that the Duke and King are escaped convicts, and they're just essentially con artists. They
1: didn't, and they didn't even know each other beforehand, actually. They, yeah, I, they have a lot in common. Yes, they like playing with people. The Duke starts telling Huckleberry that he's actually the true heir to the title of the Duke of uh, of Bridgewater. Of Bridgewater. He's so down on his luck right now.
0: Yeah, and, and then the, the King comes in is like actually, actually, I'm
1: a King. He's Louis the Seventeenth?
0: Yeah. He's a- the the dolphin instead of the dolphin.
1: Yeah, so they're both just full of But Huckleberry unfortunately falls prey to their games here. For
0: like a moment then he's like, uh, actually eventually, they're clearly eventually. idiot, but Jim seems to also still fall for it, which is just like really
1: But he's an unreliable narrator. He's talking about all this from the from after it's happened. That is true. So the dude was yeah. fooled. He started giving them more portions of their chicken and things like that and
0: yeah. So the the duke and the king decide that they're like, "Hey, we've escaped. We are kind of on the same page. We've got a we raft. have these we have a raft and these two guys fooled. We could always sell Jim in a pinch. Let's like go around and con people."
1: The duke who claims he's an actor starts to teach some Shakespeare to the king, but then they they move into the song When the Sun Goes Down in the South, which is is basically a song about Conning. Yeah no it's, it's a lot fu- of fun. I really it's like the song fun. mostly for the sound that it makes in the ear, and not necessarily for the image it brings up. I love the phrase you can't imagine a menagerie air.
0: No, it's fun. I love it. But the thing about this song is It's kind of a little bit of a baffling Act 1 finale. It is. It It doesn't
1: feel like a finale. You
0: know, you're supposed to end Act 1 on a sense of sort of, if not despair, like urgency. I guess things seem bad in the sense that these guys have sort of taken control of the raft and they do say like, oh, we could sell the slave. They've
1: hijacked the story.
0: Essentially, there's no really good place for intermission because... It's There's, all episodes. So I guess this is they got to do what they got to do and essentially pick a spot in the middle where things seem somewhat tense.
1: And so they they end on a fun note, if not a high note.
0: Okay, uh, okay. Yeah, it's not a high note. No. Oh, so God. in Act 2, we come back to find the Duke and the King still essentially in control of the raft and planning their con which was gonna be Shakespeare and then they're like eh, Shakespeare won't be appreciated let's do something different
1: he creates a character a vision for everyone to see that he is entitled the royal nonsuch
0: and how how will they tell us about what the royal nonsuch is
1: through song!
0: Oh, yeah, they're in this town with, oh, you're your favorite oh, joke Oh yeah, I was saying musical, one of my favorite, yeah. Which more. is awful because you're awful. Uh, There's these yokels in the town who, to show us how what easy
1: marks they're gonna be. Exactly. Uh, well, how bored. It's hot and everyone's bored, and these kids just wanna see a dog fight, I guess. They're talking about how a dog fight would be the most entertaining thing they could do that day. But then another one counters and said, no. What say we pour turpentine on a dog and set fire to him? That's better than a dogfight.
0: We talked about this. You weren't gonna do accents. So, the Duke and the King decide to take in the town by singing about what the nonsuch will be, and it's a it's weird neither man song.
1: nor woman. This is before Hedwig. And it's got one big breast in the middle of its chest and an eye.
0: Yeah, it's a song that's fun to sing. It doesn't particularly need to be a song, but they're like, oh, we have an—it's Act Two. We should have a song at the top yeah, of it. Yeah, this was the, so this, as is good the as any. So this
1: is the act opener.
0: Yeah, and they put on a ridiculous show.
1: He first starts by trying some Shakespeare, and throwing together lots of great lines into one monologue, one soliloquy. And then nobody wants that, so he shows them the nonsuch, such which is actually the king dressed up under lots of things. There's really—it's it's like it's the world's—it's better... wor-
0: like the world's worst drag show, really. But everyone paid, so they figure before they're like tart and feathered, they'll make a run for it. So meanwhile, <laughs> they're gonna make a run for it soon. But Jim, who's been essentially chained up by the Duke and the King, has been
1: waiting at the raft.
0: And Huck goes and makes fun of him, pretends to be a slave catcher, and then teases Jim when Jim falls
1: for it. Yeah. This is probably the biggest moment of disagreement we see between the two. It's really sad as a scene.
0: thing is, this is in the ongoing sort of tug of war of Huck's conscience. Mm-hmm. We have another really important minute here where Huck realizes that he was wrong, and has to so, apologize he, yeah. to Jim and what's really interesting is he says it was almost 15 minutes before I could go work myself up to go and humble myself before an n-word but I done it and I weren't ever sorry for it either so he feels like the right thing to do is apologize to someone that society has told him he shouldn't see as human and he's already seeing it as like oh well like I'm always been kind of like wicked and evil and uncivilized so by going and being a human being to my friend and apologizing for what I've heard him it's me being uncivilized. It's starting
1: to shift in his mind.
0: So at the end of this exchange, Huck and Jim have another duet. That is just the two of them. Yes. I, I like worlds apart. It's a l- little bit on the nose. I-,
1: I like the idea of it, and I do like the melody. And I-, I, um, I mostly really love the last line in it, the way that it's sung.
0: The traviata.
1: Yeah, it's 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 just so sweet. Traviata.
0: They're like, hey, we're different on the outside, but it's a little bit simplistic, a little bit on the nose, but it's also kind of necessary for Huck's character. Mm-hmm. Um and then afterwards we get a really interesting monologue from Jim. And he particularly shares an anecdote where his daughter was four years old and got scarlet fever and she survived, but it left her deaf. And Jim wrestles with sort of guilt of him like being slow to understand that and being frustrated with her. And this is interesting for a couple of reasons. One, because... Huck says, it don't sound natural, but Jim cared for his people just as much as white folks do for theirs. Huck Huck is jumping sort of pretty quickly at this point uh, like along his line of progress but also it's really interesting because I'm thinking of the production you saw. of Of the the implications of Huck being deaf and and Jim having a deaf daughter.
1: Yeah.
0: As an additional point of them coming together. Yeah. Yeah. So Huck and Jim try to get away from the king and the duke but the king, and the duke, essentially threatened them and fully take control of the raft.
1: They come in. They've they've used the money that to buy new clothes and be able to force Huck to be their their valet. Guess where they are? Arkansas! Yay! It's funny how much I actually love the song Arkansas. So Arkansas is sung by a young.
0: It's a random stupid kid in Arkansas. And he is easy to milk for information. And and he reveals that the town is expecting this, like, rich British guy to show up whose brother was dying and who has just died. And to, like, come and essentially take his share of the inheritance. Mm -hmm. And the king and the duke are like, well, that's perfect. Also interesting in terms of the Deaf West production is that the duke has to pretend to be deaf-mute. So that's also offensive and interesting in the context of a show where Huck is actually deaf. Yeah. Arkansas weirdly fades out into a very different song. (laughs)
1: Um, yeah. guess, Guess what I feel about how blessed we are. It is, once again, random black girl. This is Betsy, the daughter of Alice, the slave of the Wilkes family who just lost their father, singing at the funeral.
0: Well, at the first part of the funeral. Yes. It's a perfectly nice, generic, religious kind of gospel song. It's interesting that, like, a slave of the family is singing it as, mm-hmm. like, a mourner for the man well, who, like, owned her family.
1: Well, it foreshadows how much they actually care
0: for her. But the king and the duke come out, and they're going through with their deception, and we meet the daughters who have been orphaned by the passing of their mm-hmm. father. Especially Mary Jane, who is... I don't know, pretty and nice. There's not really much going on in the show by way of women. But uh, the king and
1: duke, they pretend to be her uncle, who in the will was left a lot of money.
0: Huck hides the part of the inheritance that they've stolen because his conscience is bothering him. This time, we can all agree that he's doing the right thing. It's- yeah, he does hide it in a coffin, in the coffin of the guy who died. But anyway, and we have the song, You Ought to Be Here With Me. I had an argument with my sister where I was like, I hate this song, and she was like, no, 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 it's a satire, it's a satirical song. Wait. So, you've seen the show. Is this supposed to be a satirical song, or is it supposed
1: to be, like... It's sincere. Okay, because it, I don't like the song. They usually play it sincere.
0: Yeah, I don't that, like the song.
1: That I feel really awful because my father just died, and I wish I could just be there. Um, I like the song. I don't. Especially, because it especially becomes much more much more powerful when this when her sisters come in and support her in the vocals.
0: We don't need an entire song to hear oh, about
1: it. I agree with that, but it's a nice song. I think it's meant to be one of the few songs in the show that actually tries to make you feel for the character or feel with the character because a lot of the songs are very superficial in the way the characters are dealing with what's happening in them and I'm not making I'm not yeah, but that's I don't bad, care. I don't care about I think these he women... wanted to.
0: I don't care and as the duke and the king, particularly the king, are seizing control of this estate, we get Alice, who is slave to the family, really upset because her daughter is being sold and they're being separated.
1: Yeah, they're both being sold.
0: The king just wants to essentially liquidate all of the assets as quickly as he can. It's interesting that you referenced before sort of, oh, well, like they actually care about their slave Alice. That's something where I think the show kind of screws up, is it's very easy in narratives about slavery slavery, to talk about the benevolent slaveholder and to be like they really cared and to make it almost sound like an excuse. And like, Huck Finn is better than that. And... Big River is mostly better than that, and it's just like, I think this scene is just to make us like like Mary Jane, to be like, oh, she's so sensitive, she feels so bad, she wants to keep her slaves together as a family, it's like she's still a slaveholder. And I think it's kind of offensive, actually, to use this like really serious, really upsetting like plot device as just a way to say like, oh, by the way, she's so nice. But Huck goes to Mary Jane and... Tells her what's going on and says that if she like follows in his scheme, he'll help her get all the money back. And she instantly believes him because she's like, I've been watching you. You seem nice, which is
1: stupid, but sure. And then because it's been a vague subplot the entire time that they theoretically might like each other, she kisses him. Yeah. And they never see each other again.
0: Yeah, so then they sing "Leaving's not the only way to go," which is a perfectly fine song where Huck and Mary Jane are like, "Maybe, like well, this didn't Maybe have to be just, this way," exactly. and it's like, "I don't care." But
1: then Jim shows up in the song, and I don't so know.
0: it well then it, it transitions <laughs> back in, into perhaps Huck and Jim's relationship. I and, don't know, and
1: their need to continue this the quest.
0: Yeah, but uh, something else about the song that bugs me is Huck speaks a little bit out of character. And like I've said, like for the most part, the show does a good job of sort of fitting his character. But it's like, does a tear of hesitation fall on everything you touch? Well, it just might be a lesson for the hasty heart to know. It's way more poetic and...
1: So this I mean, song, not good poetry, this but song it's just not per- the way it's in particular, but not only, that, um, we're talked down about in the in the reviews for being songs that that they assumed that roger miller was writing for straight to radio type song
0: yes and and i doubt they got much radio play
1: for all we know it might have been a song in the back his back pocket
0: i would 100 percent believe it so the conflict continues especially when the person that the king is pretending to be shows up um the sheriff presumably played by john goodman Essentially, um, the, so they're looking to figure out who's the real brother, the real Englishman, which is like as if the phony accent wasn't enough. And they're figuring out who it is, and there's going to be mobs they are going to tar and feather whoever is the imposter, which, spoiler alert, is the Duke and the King. And Huck essentially well, rejects, mean- rejects the Duke and goes to like make off on, on his own with Jim, but what he finds out is that the Duke sold Jim.
1: So Huck is trying to figure out what he can do, because he knows that Jim is his friend. That's as much as he knows, and he doesn't want him to have been sold to anyone else.
0: I know I keep sort of pointing it about his moral progress. So here right. is
1: really important and there's a really
0: key line. So he he is struggling because there's this new situation with Jim and he's feeling empathy, and he's trying to pray to stop essentially feeling this empathy, and he goes Jim and in general he says you can't pray a lie i found that out and that's yeah such a line Um, and huck says that he if he can't pray he can try to act and he will send
1: a letter miss
0: watson a letter saying that he knows where jim is and that she can come get him back but he suddenly can't do it and he suddenly remembers his friendship with jim and he has this break and this is a line that's pretty much also directly from the book all right I'll go to hell I'll take up wickedness again which is my line being brought up to it and for a starter I'll steal Jim out of slavery and if I can think of something worse I'll do that too because as long as I'm in and in for good I might as well go whole hog and that like I'm just like not to talk too much about the novel but that's just like one of the most amazing just moments in American literature the moment where Huck says all right, I'll go to hell.
1: At this moment, we we talked about waiting for the light to shine before that he's trying to wait for a moment of clarity to actually know something, to realize something about himself. So, we go into a backed up version of waiting for the light to shine.
0: So what's really interesting about this version is we all of a sudden see the slaves like picking cotton on the plantation and Huck is singing and they're also singing. right the slaves who literally have no choice but to wait when they're, they're waiting for the light to shine is waiting for their redemption is waiting for freedom that Mm -hmm. might not ever come. So Huck has this realization about slavery that it just feels wrong to him. And he's running cause he has to go and find Jim and set things right. And then we see the people that things aren't going to get better for, but that they're still like hopeful. And it's just, it's like, a minute and a half and it's so powerful
1: and, I mean they made it longer in the Deaf West version to add in everything went silent the music cut out um and it was just signing and it, it looked like dancing but
0: right um, I heard that moment is like you're suddenly experiencing the world through Huck's eyes yeah So, Huck finds the farm where Jim has been sold to, and he decides to go and bluff his way through like usual. And it turns out that they happen to be expecting their nephew to visit, and that their nephew happens to be Tom Sawyer. So it's a ridiculous coincidence, once again, from the novel, take
1: it up with Mark Twain. So, they accidentally mistake Huckleberry for being Tom. Uh, he knows Tom. He He's more than able to pretend to be him.
0: <laughs> and so he knows that Tom is on his way so he cuts off Tom and finds him and explains what's going on and because Tom, the little schmendrick, is always <laughs> down for an adventure he says, oh sure, you want to steal Jim out of slavery? I'm down. This is arguably the better of Tom Sawyer
1: in musicals. But Huckleberry comes in with this really simple plan, tells it to Tom and he's like uh, we could do that, or we can make things harder for ourselves, for the fun of it. Yeah, is
0: that he literally wants to, for the sake of sheer drama, overcomplicate freeing Jim, because Tom is a little sociopath. He just doesn't care about other people in general. Meanwhile, during this whole protracted process, Jim gets essentially his 11 o'clock Yeah, number. it is... Free at last. It's also the
1: last original number in the show, and I say original meaning the rest of them are all reprises.
0: It kind of reminds me, actually, weirdly, of the end of 1776, where John Adams is this really great character, so it's like, we're gonna give him his big final number where he's gonna express all the things he's feeling. By the time it's over, you've forgotten the song. It's so unmemorable.
1: I think it's meant to be an anthem.
0: Yeah, and it's the biblical allusions, and then, then of course, it's gonna remind contemporary audiences of Martin Luther King. Yeah. So uh, the lyrics are fine, it's just, like...
1: There are a few lines that are very memorable.
0: So as we proceed through the escape attempt, Tom actually gets shot by his uncle. Because it's his fault! Because Tom, like, (laughs) thought it would be more exciting if he would leave, like, a letter of warning to his uncle. It's so dumb. So he gets shot, and Jim... Says, we need to get him a doctor, doctor. and he literally is willing to throw away his freedom to save Tom's life. Mm -hmm. Just because Jim is a moral person with a strong conscience. They get a doctor. The doctor may or may not be played by Mark Twain. Usually
1: supposed to be. Um,
0: And everything comes to the forefront. Is that Huck and Jim and Tom and Tom's family all sort of end up in the same place at the same time, and they all explain what's going on. And now Jim has been caught and Tom is alive and Huck's been exposed. It turns out that two months ago, Miss Watson, who owned Jim, died and freed Jim in her will and Tom knew the entire time and thought it would be more fun to pretend that they had to rescue him. Oh my god. Tom gets shot, good. We do get a reprise of River in the Rain, which is a Huck and Jim moment of them
1: coming back together of them like, coming basically. back together,
0: and Huck and J- Huck wants to stay with Jim wants Jim and him to you know go around exploring. Jim gently points out that this thing wasn't an adventure just like an adventure for him for kicks, and that he really has to go. And free his family. And Huck essentially expresses that the reason he can't go home is because he's afraid of his father and Jim tells Huck that the body they saw back in Act 1 was actually Pap.
1: Floating in the river.
0: Yep, and that he drowned and it is, once again, a little bit of a tidy resolution. Once again, right from the novel. Spoilers for those Those of you who have... have not read it. So, Jim and Huck part ways and now Huck is sort of essentially has a clean slate and he pretty much just sums up at the end of the show and says tom got better jim's gone north and i don't know if i'm gonna run away because now aunt sally tom's aunt sally says she's going to adopt him and civilize him he says i can't stand it i've been there before like i got chills just reading that because you know make him fit into society but also the fact that now he's broken away from society in this really profound way and actually has this like guiding moral compass that he's never really going to be the same again that's pretty much the end of the show and then we have bows with a really great reprise of muddy water so getting into it really quickly my least favorite lyric is probably the one i mentioned from leave not the only way to go because it, it doesn't fit with play. huck at all there's a lot of great lyrics I'm just going to go with one of the silly, fun ones, where it rhymes britches and bitches.
1: Is that in government?
0: Yes. You dat gum government, you sorry sons of bitches, you got your damn hands in every pocket of my britches. It's just like, it's such like an exact rhyme, but if there's any place you're going to do it, it's going to be in that song. And I enjoy it very much. Honorable, so honorable mentions go to both Muddy Water and Arkansas, just on a whole.
1: I don't know, but I have this weird love for the absurdity of at here, Huck. How- do you want to go to heaven? Like saying, um, if you don't learn to read, then you'll never read your Bible and you'll never get to heaven because you, you won't, won't know, know how. how. That is pretty great.
0: <laughs> so to wrap up with a brief discussion of essentially award season, Big River is what happens when you do a uh, decent musical in a terrible Tony year. I mean, Big River, it got Best Musical, it got Best Book, it got Score. The only category it was nominated and lost to Tony for with costume design. So I don't know. So it's it's an interesting musical, and it's a musical that's worth sort of loving. And if you sort of look at it song to song, I'll be like, this song is fine, this song is fine. But if you just sit down and listen to the album, you just the, always have a really good, good meaning. Yeah. Like me, I mean, that's time. that's where
1: I found found my enjoyment of this show.
0: So there is there is a question of does it do what the novel does the novel is this really intense like satire of these little specific things that don't have anything to do with slavery and then these big racial critiques and the musical just doesn't have room for all of that right but i think it does a fair job at what it does try to do and it does try to communicate the evils of slavery and huck as a character as this sort of like tabula rasa trying to to deal with of the morality with the the screwed up morality of the South, it's not necessarily going to be like super profound but there's moments that are really compelling and interesting and the Deaf West production, adding that extra element Mm -hmm. of disability on top of like race and class is is really compelling. Harrison... Thank you very much for coming back onto the show.
1: Thank you for having me, Gabby.
0: Is there any way that people can find you on the interwebs if you so desire? Any so- um, social media? Yeah, made?
1: I'm on I'm on Instagram and Twitter. My handle is at Harry Benjamin, where the H is made up of an eleven, and the B in Benjamin is an eight, so one one Harry. It's in All right, Brad. I just love old Arkansas. Love my ma, love my pa, but I just love Thanks old Arkansas. Thanks for listening to Pick a Little, Talk a Little.
0: You can follow us on Twitter at Paltal Podcast, as in P-A-L-T-A-L. Email us at paltalpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Facebook. Pick a Little, Talk a Little. We are produced and edited by the incomparable Rachel Jacobs. You can find her at rachel-jacobs.com or on Twitter at WTF rjk i've been your host gabrielle gazelowitz i'm at gabrielle which is spelled in a way that you probably wouldn't guess and i'm on twitter at gabby gazelowitz so see if you can find me so until next time and as they say in west side story good night good night sleep well and when you dream dream of me